0: Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're honored that you join us here. Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. We chose that name because we believe that the words and ways of Jesus are very beautiful. And so each week we're bringing content to help make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and dive in to this past Sunday's sermon.
1: Let's get right into the book of Galatians. We're picking up in chapter 5. Let's read verse 1. And it says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity here to gather. I um, just ask that you prepare our hearts and that you soften our hearts to receive your word this morning. I pray that you speak to everybody individually um, here in the room based on their circumstances, that they would know that the spirit is here, that your presence is here and that you love them and you are speaking to them this morning. We love you in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. All right, before we get deeper into scripture, I want to ask you a question. And that question is, are you superstitious? Some of you, I hear, I see some heads shaking, oh, no, no, we don't believe in that as Christians. I'm not superstitious. Some of you have different connotations of what the the word superstition means. So we're just going to level set here. I'm going to read the dictionary definition of superstition. And that is a belief or practice resulting from ignorance, fear of the unknown, trust in magic or chance, or a false conception of causation. Based on this definition, I would argue that the Galatians were involved in some pretty superstitious activity. And that was because they heard the good news about Jesus and they were going along so well, believing that they were saved by faith in Jesus alone through grace, but then they falsely believed that the practice of circumcision would secure their salvation that they needed to get circumcised to get salvation. And that was not true, superstitious. Am I right? Okay. You know, I can relate to these Galatians a little bit. I grew up in a very superstitious household. I was taught and I grew up not being able to open an umbrella indoors, not ever being able to walk under a ladder, not being able to break a mirror or else I would have bad luck for seven years. How many of you don't, still don't step on cracks? Oh, you'll break your mother's back? Ha! Is anyone nervous? Is anyone nervous? (laughs) To this day, my dad will not let me pass any sharp objects to him. So if he needs scissors or a butter knife, I have to put it down on the table first or else it will cause bad blood between us. There's lots of superstitions going on did you know that i have never had a cavity and never broken a bone and it's because i've been knocking on wood all these years (laughs) that's right don't jinx me don't jinx me here's one i just went on vacation and uh we were in this high-rise condo and i was in the elevator i noticed something interesting so i took a picture of it take a look see do you notice anything interesting about this elevator? There's no 13th floor! No 13th floor, it's missing. Some of you are afraid of the number 13 or Friday the 13th. Look there, you know, I, there, and you know about the 13th? That's, that's some crazy stuff right there. <laughs> but it's not just me, right? Even our, even our buildings are designed around our superstitions. Some of these examples are really silly and harmless per se, maybe. But I just, uh, one example really, one superstition in my family really just put me over the edge and negatively impacted my life. And that was my mom decided to put her trust and her faith in a psychic one time for me. In high school, I was going through a hard time, and my mom thought it would be be a good idea to take me to a psychic and get a reading done. So I went in, got the reading done, and the psychic then asked to speak to my mom privately on my behalf. And he, I found out later, but he told her that I was going to get in a potentially fatal car accident with a blonde-haired driver on New Year's Eve. Sorry, Heidi. So then what my mom proceeded to do because of her fear of the unknown was I was indefinitely grounded for the next three years so i was not allowed out of the house on new year's eve for three years and i was not allowed to ride in the car with anybody with blonde hair whether it was new year's eve or not so i would say mom can i go to the movies with lindsay and she'd say is she blonde and i'd say "Ah, i mean she has some highlights no absolutely not you cannot go with her you cannot ride with her (laughs) so i felt a prisoner. In my mom's attempt, God love her, she's amazing, but in her attempt to free me from death, I ended up feeling even more trapped, even more stuck in bondage. Don't we do that? No one likes to be controlled, but because of our fear of the unknown, because of our superstitions, we fall into controlling our circumstances and the people that we love. And maybe you can relate if you're a parent trying to control what your kids are doing or maybe you've been controlled by a parent and it doesn't feel very good. Sometimes we do this though because we go in self-preservation mode trying to control the things because we don't know what's going to happen. And so if we take a look at the superstitions in our life, some of you may not, ex- not, may not feel like you're superstitious, but what it boils down to is our human innate need for control. Don't take it for me, Stevie, Stevie Wonder said it best. Oh. Let it roll. Okay, so we're gonna go through the lyrics here. This is, this is some wisdom. I'm gonna put the lyrics up here on the screen and I need some help singing along, okay? Very superstitious, Writing's on the wall,
0: very superstitious, ladders about to fall.
1: Thirteen-month-old baby broke the looking glass. Seven years of bad luck, the good things in your past. All right, here's where it comes. Ready? When you you believe in things that you don't understand, then you suffer. Superstition ain't the way. Yeah. It ain't the way. What do you think? Do I make the worship team? Now, some of you may not consider yourself, you're like, okay, this still, I'm not superstitious. Okay, but what are we talking about here? And maybe you're like Michael Scott from The Office where you say, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious." <laughs> but the bigger, the, the bigger thing we're trying to tackle here is really control. Superstition is just a symptom of how we try to control our circumstances and the world around us. So I want to ask you, what else do you control? What else do you try to control? Maybe you prefer to work on projects by yourself because you can control the outcome and you don't really trust other people and that they're gonna get to things when they say they're going to. Maybe you love checking low impact tasks off of your to-do list because it gives you the illusion that you are more productive and that will lead to your happiness if you feel like you're being more productive. Maybe you try to time the market with your stocks or your cryptocurrency, and then it just tanks and you're like, ah, I'm cursed. You know, but there's a phenomenon that which you may have heard of called the illusion of control. And I want to read this definition to you. I feel like it describes what we as humans are susceptible to. And that is, the illusion of control is the tendency for people to believe that they have more control over things than they really do. This leads us to overestimate our odds of succeeding or getting a positive outcome and to invent explanations linking our behavior to some result. And so we see this in our society all the time. Did you know that a lot of the crosswalk buttons that we see don't actually work? It's a placebo effect, especially in New York City. And same thing with the closed door buttons in our elevators. Most of those don't actually work. But because it gives us some semblance of control, they remain. But I want to go a level, a level deeper than that. Do you ever try to control your destiny? Do you try to maintain a certain image at work or try to control how others perceive you or what they think about you? Do you try to control the relationships in your life? Do you try to control your wealth or financial security? There's a lot of things out there that we control that we don't even think about. Well, in the book of Galatians, the churches of Galatia are trying to control their destiny and be in right relationship with God by circumcision. They think that will set them free. And Paul addresses this false thinking. And I think if I want us to walk away from anything today, it's that it is by giving up control that we truly experience freedom. Let's get back in the scriptures. Chapter 5, verse one, 1 through 4 says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, You must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses, which is 613 commands, by the way. If you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. So I want to give you some context here. Paul is saying, listen, you've already been set free. You've already heard the good news that you have been set free and saved through your faith in Jesus by grace alone, and that you can be in relationship with him. But you are choosing to take matters into your own hands and control the situation by doing a practice that is completely useless. If you want to get circumcised, fine, but it's not going to do anything. If you want to be righteous by the law, you're going to be held to the entire law. And that's a really heavy burden to carry. Why are you doing that to yourself? So he's saying, if you're choosing the law, if you're choosing to be in right standing through the law, then Christ will be of no benefit to you, that he did everything for you, that he, that he came to earth, died, resurrected, and, and shared this good news for no reason. If you're not even going to cash in on your free gift of salvation, you're still doing all of this work and putting so much pressure on yourself. And he said, why are you doing this? I don't understand. And so I want to define freedom here for you for a minute. He's not talking about American freedom or personal freedom to do whatever you want without any consequences. He's talking about freedom from control, freedom from sin and from shame, and freedom to have to be perfect and carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. He's talking about freedom to worship God and not ourselves, freedom to be in right relationship with God, for him to be seen and known by us and, and vice versa, and, and us to be seen and known by him, and not a slave to idols. So he's saying when you are choosing to take control over the situation and carrying everything on your shoulders, you are then become, you end, you end up going back into slavery and, and being bound by the law. And that's that's not, that's he's saying that's not right. They were trusting in a, ritual, a ritualistic observance which is worthless. And they were trying to save themselves. They were not putting their trust in God. They were putting their trust in what they could control. You know, the Galatians had a different interpretation to the scripture John three sixteen, And that was, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that for whosoever cutteth off thy foreskin shall not perish, but have eternal life. That doesn't sound right. Ew. Ouch. So here are a few things that we can learn from Paul's warning to the Galatians. And number one is that we have confused freedom with control. We have confused freedom with control. The Galatians were falsely taught that they had control over the situation that would lead them to freedom. Get circumcised and you will receive salvation. And so if I'm a Galatian, to me, this is, this is pretty superstitious thinking because it's like, oh, I've received this good news. I, I know what it takes, but I'm just gonna get circumcised just in case, just to seal the deal, you know, like a bonus. It couldn't hurt, right? Well, maybe a little. Okay, maybe a lot. I don't know, did they have numbing ointment back then? Too far? Okay. <laughs> But just like the Galatians, we are tricked into thinking that we have more control than we actually do. They tried to take over when they didn't have to, possibly to feel more secure. And so I want to read a quote from uh, Sharon Hade Miller's book, The Cost of Control. And actually, this is where uh, Pastor Pradeepan and Amrita, Pastor Amrita, actually guest spoke uh, last weekend at Bright City Church in North Carolina. But in her book, she says, we live in a culture that equates freedom with not having to do what anyone else tells us us to do. I get to make my own choices. I get to live my own truth. I get to be who I want to be. We call this freedom, but it's actually control. And the distinction between the two comes straight from Genesis 3. Adam and Eve enjoyed absolute perfect freedom, not because they were in charge, but because God was. Unfortunately, they made the same mistake we have been making ever since, equating freedom with control. They failed to understand something basic to God's creation, which is, that we, which is that we are freest when God alone is on the throne. I want to say that. We are freest when God alone is on the throne. That is why control, which wants us and not God on the throne, is diametrically opposed to freedom. Control is just a form of idolatry, and idolatry will never set us free. So if we filled in the blanks for our own life, I wonder what it would be. If I could just get blank, then I will be free. I wonder if we take a minute to really ponder and ask ourselves this question, what areas in our lives would reveal lack of freedom or our attempts at controlling? If I could just get blank, I will be set free. That's a really relevant question for me. Um, My husband and I, Tori over there, and actually I have family visiting from out of town. Can you wave hello? (laughs) Well, we have a three-year-old son named Cole. And when he was an infant, Um, we noticed that something was terribly wrong. He was having horrible gastrointestinal symptoms. Um, Ever since birth, he just like did not sleep and had horrible pain. It got even worse when we introduced solid food to him. When we would trial new foods, um, we knew that something wasn't right. He would begin to repetitively vomit um, projectile. He would have mucus or blood in his stool. He would have really bad abdominal pain pain, skin rashes. He would be up all night. He did not sleep for the first two and a half years of his life. And he was miserable. We were miserable. And that was one of the biggest trials that we've ever gone through. And during that time, as we were... Going through this process, he got diagnosed with a condition called food protein-induced enterocolitis syndrome, FPIES, for short. So we went through a series of elimination diets trying to figure out the foods that were causing these symptoms. And it just drove me crazy because I made it my life's mission to figure out every single trigger food that was giving him a reaction, only to find out that he would react anyway. And I put 100% responsibility on myself. I felt like a failure causing his suffering because I didn't figure it out quick enough i said if i could just figure this out if i could just crack the code then he will be set free then i will be set free but it didn't happen i just was miserable because it no matter what i did to try to solve the problem it seemed like it just got worse and i'm like god what is happening do you want us to suffer i'm trying my hardest here but you know what happened This past December, we noticed that his symptoms started to go away on their own. And we started doing more food trials and turns out he started to outgrow most of his food triggers on his own. Glory to God. And we were told that this was a possibility that kids could grow out of this condition, but we didn't believe it for ourselves. But it was in God's timing, not our timing. We didn't know. It was the fear of the unknown, but the, the same result would have happened whether I put all this pressure on myself or not. And so the moral of the story here isn't to not try. God wants us to participate in what he's doing, but where is he in the process? Are we putting control number one and we're telling God to take a back seat and we're saying, God, I got this? Or are, or are we letting God lead our lives, and we're saying, God, I surrender my will to yours, and I trust you? Can we honestly say that we trust God? You know, something really profound stuck with me during that time. And that is um, my husband, Tori, uh, was up all night with our son one night. And he said that there was a turning point where his prayers started to change. And he was praying and he said, God, instead of trying to change, instead of me praying for you to change my circumstance, would you change me? Would you change me? And to me, that's a beautiful representation of freedom right there. Surrendering and letting God be God and knowing that we are his child and he does not want us to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. So, I want to ask you, in what areas are you confusing freedom with control? In what areas are you saying, if I could just get this, then I will have freedom? So, what Paul continues to say to the Galatians is basically calling out that the gospel was not sufficient for them, which leads me to my point, too. By holding on to control, we are calling the gospel insufficient. We are saying that it is not enough for us. The gospel alone is not enough for us. Let's pick up in verse seven. Paul is talking to the Galatians still, and he's saying, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Ooh, ooh, intense, right? Paul is mad. He's mad. He's angry because his very purpose, his very existence, his strongest conviction is to preach the, the truth, the good news of the gospel, that we can be free in relationship with him and that we are loved by him by grace alone through our faith. And there's a false teacher coming in saying, nope, that's not good enough. That good news is not the best news you still need to get circumcised that's not good news it and paul is saying this ruins and it taints the whole gospel message it's like a little yeast that leavens the whole batch of dough he's saying if you are gonna still hold on to this one meaningless practice it's as if nothing that jesus did or who he is matters to you if you really believed the truth you would not need this extra practice and so he's saying you think that this one little thing isn't a big deal but it changes everything. It changes everything. And aren't we doing this too? In our daily lives, we hold on to things so tightly. We have such a tight grip on things. And when we do that, we're saying essentially, not maybe not consciously, but we're saying, "Jesus, I don't I don't need you. I got this. I can do this on my own. I can do this in my own strength. I don't really trust" That you have my back. And we're calling the gospel insufficient. So I want to ask you do you really believe that the gospel is enough to set you free? Whatever you feel trapped in right now, do you believe that Jesus alone is enough? I think we have to wrestle with that. It's not. Some of us may think, oh yeah, of course, but when we really live our day-to-day lives, do we actually believe that? So what does Paul say about this? What's his solution? And he tells the Galatians, he says, listen, with your freedom, use it to love and serve one another. That's what we're called to do. And so my point three is the freedom of actually giving up control is the pathway to genuinely loving one another. To truly love, we need to give up control. The more we follow Jesus and the more we become like him and be in relationship with him, the freer we will be. That is true freedom. Knowing who he is and his character and his goodness and knowing who we are in relationship to him. Jesus surrendered his will to the Father and we are to do the same. We are, sur- we are to surrender our will Verse five says, "'But we who live by the Spirit "'eagerly wait to receive by faith "'the righteousness God has promised to us. "'For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, "'there is no benefit in being circumcised "'or being uncircumcised. "'What is important is faith expressing itself in love. "'For you have been called to live in freedom, "'my brothers and sisters, "'but don't use your freedom "'to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. And so the Jews in this time had some valid concerns. They were like, hey, how will the non-Jewish people know how to live according to God's will without the law? There's some really good wisdom in the law. How will they know? And Paul's answer is, it is through Jesus' transforming presence through the Spirit that fulfilled the whole law on our behalf. And with that, with that faith, we have the spirit living in us and that the whole law can be summed up in one command. And that is love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul is saying, that's what really matters here. I wanna read a different translation. And it says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, this scripture can be really easy to blow past and sound cliche, love, 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 but let's unpack it here. John made a really good point in communion, and that is that faith alone is not enough. We can have faith in gravity, we can have faith in the wind, we can have faith in our favorite sports team, we can have faith that Jesus died, resurrected, and and believe in the whole gospel message, but it's it's just knowledge if if it's not working through something, if it's just stagnant, it's just knowledge. And in the same way, love is love alone is not enough either. When it's just a fleeting emotion, that's not love if it doesn't do anything. Love is not a fleeting emotion, it is not stagnant. Paul is saying that faith and love work together, that if we truly believe, In Jesus, what he shared, the good news of the gospel, that that we would know that we can live by the Spirit at that point. And then when we live by the Spirit, that produces love. And it's an action that we can truly love others with God's Spirit. So we need faith working, doing something through love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. So to summarize, it isn't until we can give up control that we can truly experience freedom. And in order to do that, we need to understand three things. Number one, we need to understand that we have confused freedom with control. Number two, when we hold on to control, we are calling the gospel insufficient. And number three, it is by giving up control that we can Truly fulfill our calling and love and serve one another. That's the pathway to loving one another is by giving up control. You know, as we conclude, I want to share one last story with you. Um, This was one of the most formative times in my life. And it was an abusive relationship that I was in for three years before I met my husband. And the abuse was physical, psychological, Emotional, verbal, sexual, all of it. Tons of betrayal. And during this time, over the course of three years, I felt like I felt so isolated. I felt like I had lost everything. All I had was this man. I lost my sense of who I was, my self-worth, my dignity, my values, my reputation. I lost all my friends. And it was because he was my comfort zone. He was my safe place. I felt, I had it in my head that he was the only one in the world that truly knew me and knew who I was. And I felt seen and known by him. And I was willing to take all of the abuse, all of the bad, for that that truth that was my truth at the time to feel seen and known and to me it was what I could control it was like the phrase better the devil you know than the devil you don't and because I had lost everything because everything had been stripped away from me I wanted to hold on to the one thing I had left and I couldn't let it go and I I went into self-preservation mode because I hid my bruises for a long time. I didn't want anyone to know that I was being abused. But one day, I couldn't hide my black eye. My parents saw it, and the abuse was brought to the light. People got involved. I had a way out. I had my chance of freedom. But you know what I did? I stayed. I fought to stay in that relationship. I wanted to stay in that relationship. And I stayed in it for another year. And eventually, I got away. But to this day, I still struggle with control and fear of betrayal. Even my husband—we've been married or we've been together for twelve years—and he is so patient, and he loves me, and he's an amazing man. But I still try to control him to avoid being betrayed. I still try to compete with him, to fight for significance, to try to regain my self-worth. And he says to me, "Amy, all the time, Amy, it's not a competition." It's not a competition. I love you for who you are. And even other people in my life, I try to control people's perceptions of me to avoid betrayal. And thank God for therapy, because my counselor says, Amy, you can't control being betrayed. That's the very definition of betrayal. It's something that's done to you. You know, most, when you're betrayed, it's, you get blindsided. It's not something I can control. But those are my greatest fears coming out. And when I try to control my husband, when I kind of try to control the people I love, that's not love, and that's not freedom. That's not what God calls us to. He doesn't want that for us. You know, it reminds me of a quote from the movie Shawshank Redemption. And it's about being institutionalized. And it's talking about prison walls. And this quote is from Red in the movie played by Morgan Freeman. And he says, These walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. And enough time passes, so you depend on them. In my abusive relationship, I didn't know who I was outside of those prison walls. I didn't know. And so for us, our walls are our coping mechanisms. That's our comfort zone. Our coping mechanisms are often synonymous with control. We control, we try to control so that we can cope. We are institutionalized by our control, I would even say. So as we close, I wanna ask you, what do you wanna do with your freedom? What are you going to do with your freedom? Are you going to hold on to your messes and cling so tightly to the things that we think we can control, but it's really an illusion? Are we going to let go and surrender that to God? When we let go of control, we have the capacity to love and serve others. But it takes courage. It takes courage to let go and to go out into the unknown. And I want to. I want to pray for us because I feel like this is such a huge issue that we don't talk about enough. So as we close, I want to just lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth and the fact that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to keep it all together. We don't have to be you. You gave us your son, Jesus, who carried everything for us. He already paid the debt so that we could be set free. And God, I pray freedom over everybody in this room. Whatever, whatever they're clinging to, whatever they're struggling with, Lord, I pray that you give them the grace to just surrender to you and be in your presence and to say, God, I don't have it all figured out, but I know that you love me and I know that you trust me, or I know that I can trust you. And God, I just pray that you touch everybody here and you just show them how loved they are and that it's okay to let go. It's okay to let go and just be your child. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. We'll be back here every week with fresh content. But hey, I want to give you an invitation to our Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you in person. We have multiple service times every single Sunday morning in downtown Bellevue, Washington. If you would be interested in joining us, just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. You can actually even click a link to sign up and save a seat so we can help make sure you feel comfortable coming and hanging out with us in person. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.